I believe that uh, when we walk in intimacy with the Lord, our whole life changes. Your past, your present, your addictions, your struggles, the things that people have done to you, the way people have abandoned you or labeled you, the things that you have partnered with in your heart and mind, I don't care what they are. Only He has the authority to tell you who you are. We have to ask Holy Spirit to download His heart to our heart. We have to be people who raise their hands and say, I'm here, this is my city, this is my region, it's not somebody else's problem. Um, hi everyone. It is so good to be back with you. Um, I've been traveling for about three weeks and I think uh, there was maybe a day or two in there that I was back and I think it was on a Sunday, but it's such a whirlwind they don't even know. So it's so good to be back with all your faces. Hey, hey you guys. I like seeing people and like, hey, you know, so it's good to be back with you. Um, how many of you in, have enjoyed Contextual Revolution? Man, I have enjoyed this series. Um, I really, I, I think what I like best about the series that we've been in is that we have the opportunity to bring up and kind of expose ways that we've wrongly applied scripture. And any time that we wrongly apply scripture, it puts us in prison and captivity. And it's such a joy to be able to dispel those lies and to, to offer freedom when we, when, we, um, when we really reveal what the truth is. So I, I love the opportunity to preach in this message, uh, this series, the, these messages, because it's, it's just fun. It's just fun. Um, so if you don't know, um, if you've been around or you haven't been around, the, how this goes is we kind of present the, the passage that we're bringing up and we walk through the context of this so that we can understand it better. And when I was thinking about which passage to do, um, a passage immediately came to mind that I think I hear quoted more <laughs> than almost any other passage of scripture by, by the world and in, our, and in response to the church and sometimes even by believers. I was joking with Ryan that I think that it's more quoted than John 3.16 at least in our current day and age, and when I tell you it, uh, at least in verse service, they were like, oh yeah, yeah. Now, I haven't seen it on a needle point yet, but I'm sure that someday it will be there. Um, the, the passages or the, the, the scripture that's been quoted, and I'm not going to have you go there yet because we will know it when we hear it. Judge not, lest ye be judged. I hear this quoted so often back yeah, uh, in my in my ministry and line of work, I hear it quoted to me repeated times when I share the testimony that I have, when I share messages, when I when I see the church stepping into truth areas where the world maybe has resistance against those truth claims, I hear this pronounced because this passage is used as a rebuttal often for truth. In a, in a world of relativism where we have uh, a culture that does not claim the same truth claims that we have, when we make our truth claim about the character and nature of God or who Jesus is, often, or what sin is, often we'll get this in response. Judge not lest you be judged. Quoting the very God that we are claiming the character of right back at us as a way of dismissing our claims. And it's interesting, too, because this passage has also been used by a lot of believers as kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card to not confront things in our world, and we come back to this statement of like, well, you know, I'll judge not lest I be judged, as a way to be passive against the things in this world that, that and, and even in our own lives, sometimes in our own families, in our own churches, in our own communities that we don't want to address. 
But in order to understand this scripture, we have to understand the context of it. Now, I want to bring up the passage, and we'll just take a look at it, and then we'll dissect it from there. Uh, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, in context, I want to explain uh, some, of the, some of the cultural context of this verse. And, and I think that in our cur- current church culture, we've moved from a place of legalism to a place of more graciousness. Would you all agree? Yeah, and I'm, gra- I'm really glad for that. <laughs> you know, I like grace. I need grace. Lots of it. Anyone who's my friend or a family member or on staff with me knows I need a lot of grace. And, and I appreciate that we have moved culturally as a church to a more gracious place. And I think that when we look at the cultural context of this passage, you know, that's appropriate to, to understand grace in this. Because culturally speaking, Jesus was addressing a culture where the, the religious leaders of the time were incredibly judgmental. And they were focused so, so exclusively, it seems, on the external performance or, or image or behavior of the people they were called to spiritually lead. And they were judging them from a place of great hypocrisy. See, they were looking at, you know, the, the behaviors uh, according to the law and according to the Pharisaical law and all the additions, but they had no judgment on the heart. They had no idea how to reach or understand the heart because they themselves were disconnected in their own hearts from what they were proclaiming. And let me say this. God takes very, very seriously when people who are called to represent his character and his word distort it to those that they are called to teach. In fact, the scripture says, don't presume to be a teacher because basically you're going to be held to a higher standard. Kim and Ryan and I love that. (laughs) We're, We're called to a higher standard. Because the way that we represent the heart of God to you, we are accountable for. And so in this particular culture, the cultural context of these Pharisees that were called to lead God's people, and they were leading and judging from a place of gross hypocrisy. Because their hearts were just nasty on the inside, and they were looking at the external and proclaiming judgment on that. And so it makes sense that Jesus would come to correct that behavior. So he comes to say, judge not, lest you be judged. For with the, measure, the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He is calling out hypocrisy. And it is good that we see this. And it is good that we as a, a community of believers contend with whether or not when we state truth, if we are coming from a place of hypocrisy. Because God has called us not to be in a place of hypocrisy when we proclaim what we proclaim. In fact, we lose any authority or power when we speak from a place of hypocrisy. Would you agree? It's like me trying to tell someone how to eat right. You know, it's just not a good thing. It's not a good thing. I don't have the authority or right because, see that? You know, it's just not, it does not hold a lot of weight or authority. It would be a bit hypocritical. Pass me the cheeseburger. You know, it just not be a good place. But we have to understand this, that when we look at this, the the church culture that we're in right now, they've gotten a hold of this place of calling people not to be hypocritical and calling people out of unrighteous judgment. 
And I see it all the time. I mean, I, I read it in a blog post recently when a pastor was addressing the woman caught in adultery. And we love this passage of Scripture. The woman caught in adultery who the Pharisees dragged her in front of, of Jesus and said, you know, the law of Moses commands her to be stoned. What do you say? And Jesus graciously responded with, you know, first doodling in the sand and then saying, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And we all know the story that the, that the stones dropped one by one and the Pharisees left. And Jesus said, you know, woman, where are your condemners? And she said, they've all gone. And he says, well, then neither do I condemn you. And unfortunately, with a lot of church culture right now, we end there. And it's good to have grace. And it's good to have mercy. And it's good. That is God's character. But Jesus did not end his statement there. He ended his statement to her with, neither do I condemn you. Now go and leave your life of sin. You see, something we have to understand about this passage of Scripture, which we are losing in our attempt to be more gracious, is that judgment is different than condemnation. The judgment that we are called to give, that Jesus displayed, is discernment. He proclaimed truth through the lens and filter of grace and love. There is no conflict between those things. When we say, judge not lest you be judged, for with the measure that you uh, use, it will be measured to you. Let me say this. As believers, we have already claimed an allegiance to Jesus. Correct? So by that, we are making a truth claim that says Jesus is the one way to the Father. The one way to be reconciled to God is through the saving grace and blood of Jesus Christ. That is a truth claim. That is also a judgment. And it's a right judgment. And it's a righteous judgment. We make judgments all the time. We have to. I want to go to uh, one of the, the parallel passages of this. In the Gospels, there's something called the Synoptic Gospels, which means that if you line them up, you can see the same stories basically played out. If we go to the next passage, it is Luke uh, chapter 6, 37. We see it. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. I want to stop there for a moment. In order to forgive, you have to admit and recognize and discern that there is an offense. Correct? So essentially what you have to say to someone is, you have wronged me. But in a current interpretation of don't judge, we have surrendered all right to be even, even calling something a wrong or an offense. Because that's judgmental. It makes no sense scripturally for us to say that we can't do that when we are called to forgive, which requires an assessment. It requires an analysis. It requires righteous perspective on what is right and wrong. Amen? We can't forgive something we won't admit is an offense, and we can't be forgiven for something that someone else won't admit is an offense either. There is no forgiveness without recognition of the wrong. So here's another part. 38. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Now, this could be a mini- a contextual revolution sermon, and I'm going to give it to you right now, because I remember a day that we were, I was sitting with a friend, and we were in a, in a Bible study uh, going through some of the beliefs that we have, and we were talking about giving, about financial giving, and this wasn't the passage we were looking at, because this does not have anything to do with financial giving, but as we were talking about tithing and offering and all that, 
this girl raised her hand and she said, um, where's that verse, you know, give and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. And we're like, okay, well, we'll find it. She goes, because we used to sing a song at offering. We used to sing that. And I know it's a verse of, of scripture, so it's got to have to do with money, right? No. But isn't it funny how we could take a verse that's meant to instruct us on how gracious to be and turn it into a manipulation for people to give? Finances. So I want, you to, I want you to understand this. Like, if you have ever been under that manipulation, be free of it right now because this is not about finances. Although we, knew, we do know God's character is good that when we give, he gives right back to us. He is far more extravagant in his love and grace than we could ever be. However, this is talking about forgiveness and mercy. Give forgiveness and mercy, and it will be given to you in great measure, packed down, flowing over into your lap. Because the measure of judgment that we give, we get. Really, this passage of Scripture, we could take it and lay it right on top of do unto others as you would have them do unto you because it is the exact same thing. When we come with judgment, God is not calling us not to judge. He's not calling us not to discern and analyze what is right and wrong. That would be a betrayal of who he is. He is the way, the truth, and the life. What he's calling us to do is, number one, not do it from a place of hypocrisy. And number two, doing it from a place, a measured, gracious, merciful, loving place. If we look at the passage um, from before, if you could go back there again, from uh, uh, Matthew 7, we, can, we know this particular passage. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log in your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It is not that we don't discern the speck in our brother's eye. We don't do it from a place of hypocrisy. We first remove the plank so that we see clearly. Now let's talk a little bit more about that. Um, let's see here. We don't have a lot of time this morning, but we have some. And I'll talk faster. <laughs> My wife's laughing at me. Um, when we come into a place of engaging with the world around us, God has called us to be engaging in a righteous way in judgment. A righteous way in judgment includes all attributes of who he is. When we are righteous, we are Christ-like. When we are Christ-like, we take on his character, and his character displays the full spectrum of God's attributes, not just holiness, not just wrath, not just judgment. Mercy, kindness, love, patience, grace, all of these things. So every bit of how we pronounce or, or declare discernment and confrontation should be in that same measure. Now, when it says, you know, judge in that way, I can tell you the truth. This is a comfortable thing for me because I want to be judged in a Christ-like manner. I want my actions to be discerned and called out by my brothers and sisters in Christ because I want to display Christ's character better. I want trusted, loving people who are gracious and merciful and kind to speak to me when I am not acting gracious and mercifully and kind. When we are acting within God's character, this is not necessarily a scary thing. This is a blessing because we are refined into his image. Proverbs 11 says, The Lord detests dishonest scales, but accurate weights find favor with him. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. 
what this is essentially undergirding is when we judge, we don't judge with dishonest scales. We don't judge with hypocrisy. We don't judge looking at each other through a lens of superiority. We come through a lens of humility. We come through a lens of honesty. We come through a lens of awareness of where we all come from. Let me ask you this question. How many of you in the room have ever sinned? Oh, come on. I would like you all to raise your hand if you've ever sinned once. Okay, listen, some of you aren't raising your hand. I'm going to tell Ryan when he gets back. I'm going to give you his names. See, this is the thing. When we, when we come into relationship with one another, we are called to be bearing one another's burdens and calling each other into Christ-like relationship. You see, here's the something we need to understand. We are called to discern and call each other into right relationship. We are called to judge each other as Christians, not from hypocrisy, not from, from a haughty or unkind place, but we are called to discern one another's lives and to call each other up. That is the calling that we have. And we are called to do this graciously and kindly. Micah 6, 8 says this, What shall I come before the Lord? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old, with with the Lord, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly is to have that righteous discernment, to do and say what is right and good. To act justly is to... to to be justice-driven. And not justice in a retribution sort of way, but a justice way that says, you're oppressed or you're hurting, and I want you free from prison. I want you out of the pit because you, you have value and you have dignity, and I want to bring you back into right standing. That's not, that's not condemnation. That's actually seeing beyond the things that you're doing to the person that you are and calling you into that. That is what we're called to. Now, this is an interesting thing because we are called to judge one another as believers. It says in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 5, now this is an interesting passage. I'd encourage you to read it, but I will go to um, verse 9 on this. We are called to judge each other in the body of Christ, and that is to call us into accountability, to call us into Christlikeness. But what does that mean to our response in the world? Verse 9 on 1 Corinthians 5, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. Right? But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, or an idolater, or a slanderer, or drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such a person. Now, this is not saying brothers and sisters in Christ who struggle with these things. This is saying brothers and sisters in Christ who say, this is the good and the right that God has called me to. This is God's best, and I am completely unrepentant and habitual in my sin towards this. Not the struggler, not even the addict, the person who says, this is good and right. With those people, don't even eat. Don't commune with them. Don't have communion with them. Don't say that they're okay because judge not lest you be judged. No, actually, you remove them from fellowship. That's a hard thing. But it is a lot more gracious to tell the truth than it is to lie to someone and assure them of, a f of, 
of their wellness before the Lord when they are not well. Do think that God will hold us accountable that because the same measure that we judge, he will hold us accountable, meaning if we are passive and we allow people to fall into a ditch and, and when we have the power to speak and act and we don't, God holds us accountable for that. He holds us accountable for how we treat one another. But as far as the world goes, Paul goes on to say this, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? I'm going to repeat that for some of us who like Facebook a lot. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Guys, we have this really interesting dynamic where we judge not lest we be judged, but also we condemn the world for behaving like they're unsaved, which they are. Newsflash, they are unsaved. Many in the world, they are not behaving like they know God because they don't. We are not called to judge them. We are called to judge principles. We are called to discern truth and to speak and live it, not from hypocrisy, but from congruity in what we say and what we do to be equal measure right on the money. But we are not called to pull down people in culture. We're called to build up the church. That makes sense? Okay. Zechariah 7, 9 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Um, Galatians 6, 1 says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Notice that it doesn't say those who are perfect. Okay, let me ask you this, if this resonates with you. How many of you have ever seen someone struggling with something, but you recognize your own struggle and you disqualify yourself from saying anything because you're not quite perfect yet. Raise your hand. Okay. It's kind of like this. Well, I fell into that sin three days ago, so I see you doing it today, so I'm going to say nothing. It would be really helpful if you did say something. Something not like, how dare you, but something more along the lines of like, you know, I fell into that hole yesterday and I broke my legs and I really hope that you don't do that. And because I know the consequences of what I did, and I really don't want you to experience those consequences, can I tell you that that pit is actually not a safe place for you, so please don't step in it? See, the funny thing is, when we come from a place of humility and grace, humility begs of the reality to us to recall the reality of where we came from. I minister to the sexually broken. And those of you who know my testimony know that I was, newsflash, sexually broken. And so when I sit with people who are addicted and when I sit with people who have acted out sexually and are dealing with the consequences of those sins, I don't stand from a place of like, ew, how dare you? I know how they dare. I doth once dared before it <laughs> in earlier years. I doth dareth. Falleth in that pitteth. I am in King James mode. Um, I don't stand it from a place of condemnation because I remember. I remember the hopelessness of addiction. I remember the shame of sexually falling. I remember the power of what the world was saying. And I don't stand in a condemning place. I stand in a place that says, I know the struggle of this, but I know the freedom of Christ. 
I want to call you to that because I know where this leads. Not from a place of condemnation, not from a place of me being better than you, but from a place of saying, I know what this does. And I don't want you to experience what I've experienced. Or I don't want you to experience more of what I've, what I've experienced. Or I see that you're even further down the path than I was. And I recognize how hard it was at point A. And you're at point Z. Please, for the love of God, he can redeem everything. Get out of there. It's not from a place of, of self-righteousness. It's from a place of self-recollection, of understanding the pain that is involved in sin and speaking from that place. And you know what? Here's, here's just a principle. You don't have to have experienced the same thing to understand how sin hurts us. So if you see people in the world that are struggling with sexual issues or addiction issues or, you know, greed issues, and that's just not your bag, but you know you struggled— and you know the destruction that pride has come on you or greed has come on you or whatever else it is, you can speak from a place of humility to that because you know the heart of God for you and his redemptive character and you know the consequences of sin. And we are called to. We are called to speak to that. But again, here's another little piece of extra gravy on this one. But watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. How many of us have heard that said to us as a warning that if we go into the world, be careful, weak little Christian, that they might defile you into abandoning everything and suddenly you'll have tattoos and piercings. <laughs> or, as I said in first service, don't minister to the strippers or soon you'll be on the pole. You know, it's just not... I said it twice, I said it twice, I said it twice. <laughs> It's making the recording now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there is some wisdom in being self-aware of what your struggles are. And a place of hypocrisy does not allow you to step into those places if you're weak. A place of hypocrisy would say, I'm so strong when we, really you're not. You're going to help that person because secretly you want to be involved in whatever they're doing. I'm going to be missional. No, you're being slimy. Stop it. But if you are in a place of, of, of health, not hypocrisy, you're coming from a place of spiritual strength. The Holy Spirit is in us. The power that raised Christ from the dead is in us. We don't have to fear that the world somehow is going to knock us over with a feather. Come on. But you know what we are needing to be aware of? What I think that the heart of this verse really is? Be careful and watch yourself that you may not be tempted to become self-righteous and judgmental of the people you are trying to help out. Because the deeper we get into the pit with people that are struggling, the more disclosure comes up of where their heart is, the more tempting it is to be self-righteous. Watch yourselves that you don't become self-righteous. Watch yourselves that you don't become condemning. Watch yourselves that you don't start making judgments and, and, and characterizations of people because of their struggles. Remember where you come from. Remember the great grace of God to redeem you. And don't allow self-righteousness and judgment to settle in our hearts. Unrighteous judgment is different than righteous judgment. Unrighteous judgment is hypocritical. Unrighteous judgment fosters condemnation. Unrighteous judgment pushes people further away from God. Unrighteous judgment marginalizes sin. Unrighteous judgment puts me above you, and we are all equal at the foot of the cross. Righteous judgment speaks the truth, and the truth sets free. Righteous judgment represents the heart of God. Righteous judgment is kind. 
Righteous judgment is merciful. Righteous judgment thinks the best and hopes the best. Righteous judgment lifts people up. Righteous judgment puts us on the same playing field. Righteous judgment is patient and kind. We are called to do that. We are called to speak the truth, to set people free, not to kick people with the truth. Not to surrender the truths we know are true because we don't want to be judgy. Don't be condemning. Be discerning. Don't be hurtful. Be illuminating to people. I find that this is probably one of the places the church could really use the empowerment and the the wisdom of the Holy Spirit most in. Because we are living in a world that people are dying for lack of wisdom. They're dying for lack of illumination to what is actually going on in their hearts and souls. They are are in prison, and we have a key, and we don't want to tell them that they're in prison. We don't want to condemn them by saying you're in a cage. But I really think that this morning when we sang that song, we are on top of the cage. We are proclaiming from that position. That was prophetic. We need to understand there was a cage. There is a cage. Some people are in it. And it is not judgy to say that. It is truth. Does this all make sense? We're going to do something in response to the message today. Uh, we are going to do something that I think, if we do it in the right heart and the right manner, reminds us from a place of humility of where we come from. And that is that we're going to take communion. You see, all of us were sinners. All of us were separated from God. All of us were needing the sacrifice of Christ to redeem us and make us right with the Lord. It is, it is his body broken and his blood shed that has brought us into right relationship with God. And every single one of us need Jesus just as much as everyone else. And so as we respond to this message today, we're going to respond from that place of humility and gratitude. From that place that says, God, we are so grateful for what you have done. We are so grateful for what you have offered us. We know that we needed it. We know that we, we needed your grace just as much as anybody else. Thank you.